sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, and before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our current sponsor. Support for this podcast comes from Justin Maybe Design. Are you sick of your current website? Is it outdated? Does it need a facelift? Maybe you just wish it worked better. My website was recently redesigned by Justin Maybe Design, and in just a matter of hours, They took my website and made it so much easier to navigate and control with full website builds, search engine optimization, and a focus on training for all clients. Justin Maybe Design is ready to make your online presence the best it can possibly be. You'll never feel out of the loop ever again. Justin uses Squarespace to create all of his designs. There are no patches or plugins to update and you never have to worry about making sure your website works correctly. Plus, there are always tutorials and 24-7... Plus, there are always tutorials and 24-7 support if you ever get stuck. Interested in a website redesign or building your own website from the ground up, check out justinmaybe.com for a full line of training resources, pricing for full builds, and a blog with tips and tricks to get the most out of your Squarespace site. If you mention this ad, you'll get 20% off your first year of hosting. Again, that's justinmaybe.com, and his last name is spelled M-A-B-E-E. There will be a link in the show notes, so you can just go ahead and click on that and mention this podcast, and again, you'll get that 20% off for your first year of hosting. And now we are going to go on to today's topic. We're talking all about A Quiet Place today. MJ, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing pretty well. I'm definitely very excited to talk about A Quiet Place because this is a movie that I went into not knowing a whole lot about. I don't think I really started hearing much about this movie until right before it was released. Usually when it comes to big movies, I'm pretty on top of news and everything for them. But because this wasn't, you know, the biggest movie out there, as far as the marketing effort and everything goes, it definitely had trailers floating around the internet and everything like that. And it was released at South by Southwest. But for for whatever reason, it just wasn't on my radar quite as much as like, you know, the superhero movies and everything like that. And we've had plenty of those this year already. So I think it kind of just got jumbled in there. But for you, when did you know that you were just dying to see A Quiet Place? Well, if anybody knows me, I'm a big horror horror aficionado. Um, I'd start hearing rumblings about it by from the uh, South by screenings. And then there is like this weird... Uh, theory that it was tied into the Cloverfield universe. Okay, and I know you've talked about those movies quite a bit. Yeah, and because uh, John Straczynski was actually supposed to be in, I think, Paradox or one of and then he ended up not being in it, and then, like, people started theorizing, like, okay, maybe this is kind of tied in the Cloverfield universe. And if you see the movie, if you've seen the movie, you actually could maybe tie that in, in there. But I was watching the trailers. It definitely, I mean, I forgot what movie I saw in the beginning of the year, but I see, I saw it in the trailers and um, it was intriguing. And then like, I don't know. I was and then, you know, me and a friend saw it in New York and I loved it. And, you know, I'm, 
I'm pretty hard on horror movies, but this one was pretty good. This one would, did its job really well. Yeah, I would say out of the horror movies that I've watched recently, this and Get Out, even though Get Out feels more like a psychological thriller to me than necessarily straight up horror, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't mind watching horror movies like Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or anything like that, but those are sort of meant for October consumption, in my opinion. It's like, okay, those are the movies everyone watches around Halloween when they want to get some good horror movies in or even potentially some bad ones, depending on which ones exactly you watch in the various series. But with A Quiet Place, there's sort of this sci-fi element to it, but it's not overdone to the point where it just becomes a sci-fi movie as opposed to a horror movie. And I think they did a really nice job with that because I wasn't even really aware of the sci-fi element going into this. And then I saw... I believe one of the trailers sort of briefly hinted at the sci-fi element and I was like, okay, you know, I'm warming up to sci-fi movies more and more as I watch things like Arrival and Annihilation and movies like that, but it really surprised me how well done this is. And because there is so little as far as the lines go with the actors in this, it's like you really get this great tension the entire time you're watching it just because of literally how quiet the movie gets at times and it was one of those things I wasn't in the theater with too many people when I watched it but you still kind of get this overall sense with everyone in the theater you're like okay what is going on here it's a little too quiet to be comfortable sitting here in this theater right now when me and my friend saw it it was actually really packed which was Surprising to me because it was like three weeks after it came out and it was still packed. When that happened, and as we're watching the movie, I look over to my friend and I see that she's really conscious about moving, like even like whispering to me and like asking like a question and stuff like that. Like everybody was like in their seat in this tension because you really get wrapped up in the movie. Like, you really get wrapped up in this family because there's a family of four and that's really the only, yeah, that's the only people that you see and you get involved in kind of protecting them. So you don't want to make any noise, like any noise in the theater because it might attract, you think in your head that it might attract the monsters and which is kind of crazy, like to be so, wrapped up in watching a movie that like you basically become the movie you basically become you know that environment you're going and you go into the movie and it starts with very little background right like you see like you know newspapers here and there um about like the creatures and you know not to make any noise and whatnot but like you're kind of just thrown in like it's just kind of like you're just dropped off a plane and like you're into you know whatever earth is now where it looks like not a lot of people are are left and you know you have this family and it's all everything is desolate and whatnot and the movie starts with you know the jarring scene of them losing a son, like losing the littlest. Right. And it sets up 
like this huge arc, which I think is just masterfully done. Like, like you said, like you mentioned get out and, and that's funny because that's good because I felt like that was more Alfred Hitchcock. Right. Definitely. Uh, I mean, of course it had to, yeah, it, it definitely had the horror element in here. Here, like, of course there's like a horror and sci-fi element that it is, but it's also more emotional. Like there's like this emotional connection to the family and what they've gone through to the point where you feel really bad. You feel for them. You feel for each person with this loss. You know what I mean? So like, as, as, especially you're in a, in a world where you can't really like express it. Like you can maybe sign uh, about it, whatnot. Um, and like, you know, you'll see it more like towards the middle of the movie, but like, you can't really say what you feel because you might die. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up seeing it in a packed theater and your friend not really wanting to do anything at all, because I definitely felt that way. But I had a very different viewing experience than you did, I think, just because, you know, I get there and I go buy my ticket with movie pass. It's a little sunny out, so it's a little hard to see, you know, the screen to pick your seats. And so I just pick one in the back row because there's only like seven or eight rows in a lot of the theaters at the theater by me. And I get to my seat, someone's sitting in my seat in this like more than half empty theater. I think there were maybe 10 people in the theater. And so he just gets up and moves to the other side of his girlfriend or wife or whoever. And I sit in my seat. So then I'm sitting next to this couple with a small child the entire movie. And I probably should have moved, but I was like, whatever, this is the seat I picked. I'll deal with it. And there was like a dog in the theater and another small children or another small child and it was just a very strange thing all around and I was like oh well whatever I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna watch this and I'm going to enjoy it and you know obviously I did but I did have moments when I was sitting there and I was like am I breathing too loud like should I just like not breathe during this moment and it's definitely one of those movies that it feels like an immersive experience because you just get so into what's going on on the screen because of how quiet it is. It's not one of those movies where you get into the theater and you're like, wow, they are playing this way too loud. I would like to keep my eardrums intact by the end of this movie. Instead, it was the complete opposite. Even when you do have loud moments, it didn't feel like it was too overdone. Well, first of all, I'm sorry about your uh, theater experience. <laughs> I don't think this is a. I don't think that was a movie that uh, that you would bring a, a toddler to. Thankfully, the one next to me slept pretty much the whole time. I think he only woke up when he wanted some sips of soda, so it wasn't too bad. And then the other <laughs> child, you know, made noises here and there, but for the most part, the parents actually kept the children quiet, which I appreciated because a lot of times that's not the case. And the dog was quiet too. So I almost forgot there was a dog in there, which that's just weird in itself because it wasn't like a service dog or anything. It was just like this little white dog. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably like my, you know, Infinity War experience where like, there were just kids just running around and whatnot. Uh, that's kind of crazy. In my theater, um, we got seats to the back and we were hoping that like nobody sat next to us. But of course, like at the last minute, like two people just come and just like, all right, but they stayed pretty. They stayed pretty quiet and whatnot. Um, I think, especially as a first-time director, John John Krasinski did a hell of a job. Especially because he was 
each character was was able to express a, a really emotion without using words. Like you kind of like the use signing and especially uh, Regan. She's the the actress. Uh, I think her name is Millicent Simmons. Yeah. I hope if I'm sorry if I got her no, name wrong. No, that's her name. She is. Yeah, she's actually deaf. Right. And I thought that was like her journey and her not being able to speak and like her verbalizing and whatnot. She had it, you know, she had it the hardest. She was the one who gave her little brother the toy and, you know, he got killed. And then she's having this relationship with her dad where she feels like he blames her for that. And she's kind of like trying to prove herself of her, you know, of worthy of love basically. And it's interesting because, you know, you see this journey and you, with, you know, with your friends and your family, you, you could say it to them. Like, you know, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Like that. I didn't mean that, you know, that's okay. Blah, blah, blah. Because they're in such a like pressure situation you basically have to hunt <laughs> without sound, which is like, which is weird. You know what I mean? Like you think like if you see like deer or whatnot, like you would have to like, you know, kill them and stuff like that. But like even the slightest bit of sound will put you in danger. These things, these monsters, uh, boy, it's like as soon as you drop something, as soon as like you step on a twig and stuff like that, here they come. Boom. Dead. Like, um, and I, I like I just thought that was a, a brilliant casting choice. And then you had Marcus, who is like the younger brother, who, well, yeah, he's the oldest son. You know, um, he has to be brave. He has to uh, find his way, you know, with Lee, his dad, and like be brave in a world where like it's scary as hell. Like, can you imagine being like, I guess they're probably like 10 years old, like 10, 11, whatnot like that. And being in a world where like, all right, well, I have to, you know, hang red light bulbs in case of danger happens and my mom is pregnant. And like, I don't know, like with pregnancy, like, will she be able to survive even though she's a doctor? I can imagine like that's very jarring for them. And maybe like here. You don't really know because you don't you get dropped kind of like in the middle of it. If they know a world without the monsters first, maybe they kind of know. <clears throat> maybe this is the world like that they know. But I, I would imagine as a kid, like I would like, whoa, like what the hell? Yeah, you mentioned that this was Krasinski's directorial debut. And I believe it's also the first time him and Emily Blunt were in a movie together and the fact that he was then directing it to you know that's something that's worth talking about as well because in real life they are married they are married in this so you know it definitely shows you just how well they work together pretty much on and off the screen in this movie and Krasinski did a very nice job going out and seeking out the right child actors for this because he specifically said that he didn't want a non-deaf actress playing the daughter he wanted someone who was actually deaf and could teach him about 
what they go through and everything like that. So it definitely gave it that sort of authenticity to the performance. And then with the older son, Marcus, who is played by Noah Jupe, I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. I don't know. But he was in the Night Manager miniseries and Suburbicon. So he had been in these bigger productions already, even though in the Night Manager, he wasn't necessarily a big focus in the show. He sort of just popped up here and there. And I honestly have not seen Suburbicon to know what his role was in that. But he did a nice job, like you said, putting on that brave face and just trying to do everything he could. And I think they do know a life without the monsters because you could always see the younger brother who you know makes the noise at the beginning of the movie he knows that if you put batteries in this thing it's going to make noise and he doesn't really understand why he can't make noise anymore so that's sort of what told me that they might have just gone through this thing recently where the monsters took over oh true um yeah there's like uh numerous uh, there there's like radio like i I remember like there's radio things and then there's newspapers or whatnot you mentioned um john you mentioned john why do i keep on forgetting emily blunt yeah (laughs) yeah uh i don't know why i keep on forgetting her name but anyway their yeah their marriage in real life actually played off amazing in the movie because you really feel like there was a scene where like they have the iPod and she gives him one earbud and they're dancing and it's so sad. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, like it's like, it's beautiful, but it's sad. And you felt like the genuine love there. When I was watching the movie, one of the things that I really, really thought and like what came to my mind is this whole movie is like one big metaphor for basically being a parent. Of course you have the monsters and you have whatnot, but I felt like you could kind of look at the monsters in a different way as in like, all right, I have a parent, I have kids. There's a great big world out there with a bunch of stuff that I don't know. There's, I can only protect my children so much. You know what I mean? Like I can only, do so much but at the end of the day you know the wilderness and whatnot and whatever is out there can still get them and i felt like that panic and i felt like that pressure that they had because you know they, they're doing whatever they can to survive it's almost like going back in like to the 1800s where they you know like having natural childbirth and you know stuff like that and like living off the land and whatnot. But like at the same time, like you could do whatever you want. You can make all the safeguards you want. One flick of like fate and whatnot, like just like you saw in the beginning of the movie with, uh, you know, the batteries and whatnot, like it, it'll, you could lose your child. And like, that really struck me that, emotional aspect of the movie I thought was really done well. And I thought that was kind of like the main point of the movie. Like, of course, like the, there was the horror and whatnot. And, and this, but like that point actually was like my favorite plot point of the movie. I do want to talk about a few specific scenes here before we dive into 
the ending, which I wasn't really expecting at all. But one of the moments that he has with the son when they're going out and looking for food and catching fish and everything like that, he takes him up underneath the waterfall and he sort of just lets out this big yell and he's showing the boy that if there is a noise louder than you, it's fine to make noise. And you see the hesitation with the son. And then you see the relief when he finally gets to say something and just sort of yell from behind this waterfall. And I think that was a really well done moment because with both of them, it's like you just sort of feel the weight being lifted off of them, even if it's only briefly. I like how they played back into that when um, when Evelyn is in the basement and the monster like broke into the house right. and she backs into like the running water and like, like the monster can't hear her right. or whatnot. Like, I love that. Like they played into that again, like going back to the scene, that was definitely a bonding moment that they needed to have because it played into the story of you know, Regan and whatnot. And because Regan can't, Regan can't speak. You know what I mean? Like Regan, Regan is deaf. So it's like Marcus is kind of like her mouthpiece and he's telling his dad, like, you know, she thinks you hate her. Like she, she thinks that you're, you blame, you're blaming her for, you know, Bo dying. And he's like, no, no, no. Like I don't and whatnot. And also like going back to the yelling and whatnot like that, Felt like it was kind of like one of the it's one of the only instances where you hear dialogue. So I felt like it was like them kind of like letting off steam. Like everything in this movie is almost like a powder keg that is ready to just erupt and them talking and them kind of going in deeper. What happened in the beginning of the movie? It was just kind of like. Uh, like a sigh of relief. And I felt like it was a sigh of relief for us too. And the, and the audience like, Oh, I could, you know, maybe move around a little bit more because now uh, there's like maybe a little, a little bit more Liberty with sound and whatnot. Like it was a reprieve for the audience too. One of the other moments that I wanted to talk about too, is when they are making the soundproof crib basically for the baby, when the baby comes and you see them preparing all of these things so that she can have the baby and then the baby can have a place to sleep without you know alerting all of the creatures and it's really well done just how it's really an effort on everyone's part and you have other little moments like when she steps on the nail and most people would probably scream or yell out or something, make some sort of noise if they stepped on a nail. And with Evelyn, she knows that she cannot do that. But all she could do is just kind of warn everyone else that the nail is there so that, you know, one of the kids doesn't step on it because they would surely scream if they stepped on a nail, probably. That was a really good scene, too, because that was... It was one of the scenes in the movie where it built up suspense. Like it comes, there's instances that come later, especially with the monsters and like, you know, everybody trying to, you know, hold their breath and like, oh my God, like 
these things are like right here, like one false move and they're just going to chop me in half. You feel you're like, oh, man, like like you said, like if you step on a nail, I'm going to like I'm probably going to curse. Like I'm probably like me. Like, I don't know if I'm, like, I would scream, but I would definitely let loose a, a few F words and whatnot. And also, I was thinking, I'm like, damn, like, I know she's a doctor, but, like, she's going to need, like, a tetanus shot? Like, how are you, you going to get that in in this movie? Like, I don't know. That was kind of weird. But, like, yeah, that was one of the instances where it was, like, this slow build of suspense. It wasn't kind of, uh, like, you like you mentioned on, like, Friday the 13th, like, this, this big, like, it's, like, this big creeping feeling of despair coming. Like, I'm like, oh, man. And especially when she went into labor and the monster was right there. I'm like, oh, man, like this is where she's going to die, isn't she? And I'm like, no, nah, don't kill the mom. But she ended up being all right. And I'm like, OK, well, <laughs> I don't know how she pulled that off, because I imagine, you know, childbirth is very excruciating, especially in this you know, world where you can barely, you can't scream, you can't do anything, whatnot. Like, it's, it feels very repressive. Yeah, plus there's probably not a whole lot of medicine or anything left, too, because we see them at the very beginning, you know, they're kind of rummaging through what is left of probably a general store or something like that. They're in a pretty isolated area it's definitely a very small town vibe so we don't really know a whole lot about what happened to everyone else and why they're the only ones we're seeing around here and you know you have that moment where they have the fire up on top of i forget where they're sitting it's like on one of those it's not a water tower, but it's like the thing that holds the grain and everything like that. And they have this little fire going and you can see some others in the distance. So it's like you kind of know there are at least some other people out there who are doing the same thing. And that's kind of like their signal, I guess, like, hey, you know, we survived another day. And it's just one of those things where you don't really need to see anyone else in this movie to be satisfied with it by the end of it because you get that little glimpse there and you get this idea with how bare the store is in some sections that okay clearly other people have taken things from here and that's why they're sort of just getting whatever they can at the beginning of the film because you know they obviously will have a supply of fish and everything from the river and it's hard to tell if the creatures go after any noise that isn't made by a human. So that's something to consider, too, because it's like, well, theoretically, if the fish sort of jump out of the water and go back in, wouldn't they be making noise or would the river be too loud for the creatures to even notice? I have no idea. Now I have all sorts of thoughts <laughs> on this movie that I did have initially, but it's just one of those things where this movie makes you think a lot more than I would say most horror movies do because this isn't a horror movie in the sense where the jump scare is the goal. This is one where they're going to walk you through this thing and make you hold your breath and then at the very end, you know, they'll surprise you, but not in the same sense that, you know, something like I said earlier, Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street intends to. Yeah, I like that 
they did that. Like, it wasn't like, you know, I walked downstairs and, oh, my God, like, the, the monster's there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's very, you know, it, it's kind of like shot where you're walking with them and you feel all, like, the anguish with them as they mess up and whatnot and they hear the things and now, okay, now I have to, like, it, it's like, it's like a video game. It's like one of those video games like Silent Hill or Resident Evil and stuff like that where you, don't, where you try to not make noise because you know like the big bad monster or plant monster or whatnot is like around the corner and you only have like a finite amount of health. Like it feels like it felt like that. Um, you mentioned that when they did the lights and they saw other people in the distance, I found that interesting because it's like – it's two different things. Like it's the world is big and yeah, there are other people out there, but can I get to them? And how do like, how do I even communicate with them? Like the thing is like, they don't meet, they, they meet one other guy and it's right. like this old, yes. like this older man in the woods. I have no idea why he screams. Like, I, I just found like that was kind of like a dick move, but you don't meet anybody else. So you don't know, you know, if it's like, you know, the walking dead where like, can I trust everybody? Like, is, are people going to try to like kill me to survive somehow, uh, for my supplies? Because like you said, like when they went into the store, it was slim pickings. Right. Like they were trying to figure, they were trying to find medicine and whatnot and try to find things. But you gotta, you can imagine, you know, over time things rot. Uh, medicines aren't really effective and it, it's tough. Like you have to like worry about these monsters, but then again, like maybe they go into this in the sequel. Uh, maybe it's also the humans that you got to fear too. Like it, it's also human nature when you're in a dire state that like humans, you know, a dog eat dog type thing. So, you know, maybe we'll see that down the road. I don't know. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and sort of discuss what takes us into the big ending for the movie. Basically, what happens is, you know, the creatures are coming, and she's about to have the baby, and, you know, at one point, Lee is out, and he's just sort of nowhere to be found. The kids don't really know where he is, so they run and get to the silo which is the word i was looking for earlier the grain silo <laughs> there we go and they try and light a fire to sort of let it be known where they are because you know everyone goes in separate directions at this point and you have the son trying to stay alive in the field you have the daughter looking for him finding him getting to the silo and then the whole incident where he falls into the silo and starts sinking. So, you know, you finally get this moment where, okay, she's had the baby. Her and the baby are fine. They're in the house. They're barely hanging on here. And the two kids are elsewhere. And the creatures are coming fr coming for them at all angles at this point. And what did you think of basically the buildup because this is where I feel like things really hit the most intense point 
in the movie. You have all of this stuff happening and you don't have the family all together. So it's like, okay, what's going to happen to this person? What's going to happen to the kids? And what is going on? Because right off the bat, you already lose one of the kids. So it's like, okay, are they going to kill everyone off by the end of the movie or what? And, you know, obviously that is not the case, but they still find a way to make the ending surprising in a sense. Well, during the labor scene, I, you know, initially for sure thought like the mom is going to, I'm like, ah, oh, she's going to bite the big one here. And then that didn't happen. And then you had something where, the cochlear implant where like it actually like made the monsters crazy, whatnot. Like it, uh, the sound like, and, and like interfered with like, uh, I guess like their hearing or whatnot, because you know, they, they're blind. Right. So like they, they use like hearing to, to go to what their targets or whatnot. So like Reagan's like a uh, cochlear implant makes them crazy and whatnot. Um, the silo, that was pretty crazy. I'm like, all right, well, they're either going to die by suffocation from grain or the monster's just going to dive in and, and kill them. And they ended up, you know, surviving and whatnot. The last scene with Regan and Lee, I had a feeling that somebody was going to, like, sacrifice themselves. I didn't think that the family was going to initially... Uh, come out unscathed. Right. I, I just didn't like. I, I, somebody had to take the you know the ultimate sacrifice, and who better to do it but Lee? And that was kind of the way to show Reagan, you know, like I love you. You know what I mean? Like, and he signs it to her, and it feels sad. And then the monster just comes and just whacks him and kill. I'm like, ah oh, man, that sucks. You know, like because he. And this movie, like, Lee is the ultimate everyman. You know what I mean? Like, he he hunts, he he goes, and he tries to, like, you know, distract the monsters and whatnot. Like, and, like, now you had, you know, Evelyn, Reagan, and Marcus, like, alone until, you know, the big ending where, you know, the implant just goes crazy. And then uh, Evelyn just shoots them with a the shotgun. That was... I was like, <laughs> there, there's instances in movies where you're like, yeah, but like you couldn't really say it because you're it's it's a quiet place. You're really trying to like keep quiet and whatnot. Um, and then there was the ending where they went outside, and then there's like 50 million monsters coming to where they were going. I'm like, oh man, like are they gonna die? Like are they gonna be able to like fight everybody off? She only has like a certain amount of amount of bullets. Like is she is she gonna be able to just like kill every single one i thought like instead of it being a horror ending like you know like everybody dies or what like it was really well done it was, it was well done to draw you in to like feeling really sad because i feel like you know they maybe they've recently said that they were they were developing a sequel for but like this could really have been like the end of the story and then all right, well, like, everything continues, but they found a way to, like, fight off the monsters now. Like, now they could kind of survive. Yeah, I just, I thought the ending was real, I really liked the ending. Like, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Like, I'm like, this is the route they could have went. I really loved what they did with the 
implant because it takes Reagan a few times of it happening to realize that it's having an effect on the creatures as well because you know she sort of rips it off because it's hurting her and at that point I think the first two or three times it happens she doesn't realize the effect it's having on anyone other than herself so then you know by the end of the movie it clicks but at that point her dad is already sacrificing himself so it's like you know a little too late so in a way I feel like you know she's going to feel guilty about that as well but what Lee does at the end is just he has complete faith in his family that they are going to be able to take care of one another you know the kids like you said they're not that old they're not even like high school age yet and they have all of this responsibility and now with a newborn in the picture there's going to be a lot for those kids to do just to be able to help their mom out with the newborn and just providing for the family in general but at that moment you know he feels like he has prepared his family as well as he possibly could and reagan is really smart you see when lee is gone that she's messing around with some of the equipment that he has and everything like that and the implants and trying to make things work so she's definitely very resourceful and i think that's why you know he felt like if anyone was going to sacrifice themselves it would be him yeah and there was even like a small moment where she goes down in the basement and she sees all like the prototypes and all the research that Lee was doing. Yeah. And she got like really, she's like, oh, he, my dad did love me. Like, look, like he was trying to like, he was really trying to help me because there was like an instance in the beginning of the movie where he gave her the cochlear implant. She's like, it's not going to work. Like it never works. And he's like, dude, I tried, like, I tried this, like give this a shot. And then she just gets frustrated and just throws it like, like, hey, like, like, come on, like, give up. And, like, I, I love that it was full circle, even though she lost him. Like, she could see, like, the fruits of his labor. Like, he was really trying to help. Like, uh, he was, like, doing, like, recent, like, reading books and, and, like, trying, like, all these different, like, cochlear prototypes to try to help her. And, like, you know, man, like, yeah, it's kind of, it was, like, I felt like it was his like his final gift to them inadvertently because I don't think he knew that like that would be the thing that put the monsters down. But it was a it was a nice little touch. Yeah. Well, are there any other scenes or anything that you want to talk about? Because before we close out here, I do want to just talk some numbers with this film. Oh, no, I, I enjoyed the movie. I probably like when it comes out on DVD or digital i'm definitely gonna like give it another watch and whatnot like i'm not really sure about the sequel um maybe they broaden it maybe they you know like you said like now like the family has like a newborn so that's a that's another wrinkle into what can happen maybe we'll learn more about the monsters and where they came from but yeah this was john trzinski man bravo this was a really good first entry in directing like you know what i mean like he he definitely knew his stuff and like he he made a really heartfelt movie emily blunt every all the acting on everybody's part was just really good especially when you have a movie 
with an absence of sound. It was just really, really acted well. Yeah, I agree. And I just wanted to bring up the numbers here real quick, because when you think of horror movies, you know they're not going to be the biggest movie on any given week, really, in the at the box office, because we constantly have movies like, you know, Star Wars and Marvel movies coming out. But this had a budget of around $20 million, give or take. And it made over $300 million at the box office. So I think that's definitely something to be proud of with this movie, too, because with horror and especially with rated R movies in general, and I don't know if this was rated R. This might have been PG-13. I'm not entirely sure on that, but... It is PG-13. Okay. And that's probably partially because they don't really talk a lot, so they don't say words that could (laughs) bump it up to a rated R film, but it's still one of those movies where it's not really a family movie. So while there were small children in my theater, that's probably not the norm as far as the demographic goes for this movie. So it's one of those things where you're like, okay, well, how well is a movie like this going to do? And I was really glad to see it doing so well. And, you know, maybe 312 million isn't huge by like Disney standards, but for a movie like this, it doesn't have to be. This is definitely a very successful movie, and I kind of hope we see more movies like this and get out in the future. Oh, yeah. um, That's kind of been the trend with horror movies, like, for a little bit. Um, That's even dating to, like, Paranormal Activity, where they only made it for, like, thousands of dollars or maybe stuff like that, and it makes a hundred and something million or split or like get out where like they only make it for like a small amount of budget and it goes on to be a phenomenon and whatnot. Um, I like, I like the contrast because we got, we got hit over the head recently with like a lot of big budget movies. Yeah. Uh, it was infinity war. And then after Deadpool two, and then it was uh, solo. So it feel it felt like, all right, you know, before all that, like, and, you know, you had Black Panther around that time. So, like, before all that, it was like, I, I kind of need a breather a little bit. And it's good to see, like, there's a market for, like, these smaller budget movies. And it it's telling where, because a lot of people went back to go see it a second time, where, you know, word of mouth and things like that, like, hey, man, you have to go see this movie. Like, hey, like this is really, really good. And it built momentum where like, like I said, like I saw it in week three and it was, the movie was still packed. It was like Saturday afternoon. You know, if you make a good movie, like you said, like, you know, I know we're me and you are like huge fans of get out and whatnot. Um, people will go see it for like, you know, once or maybe twice and, and like then tell their friends about it. And then they go, um, they'll go see it. I, I love, this with horror now where we're getting original narratives and not really going to reboot where like, it's like, Oh, we need another Jason movie. No, we need, you know, another Freddie movie. Like you're giving people like Jordan Peele, like John Straczynski, like reigns to tell these stories that not only, you know, like a, a bit like gory and stuff like that, but that's not really the main point. The main point is the sto- is the plot and like how it resonates with you and how it kind of 
resonates on a personal level. Like I thought, I love this trend. I hope they keep it up because God knows we have enough $200 million budget movies that we, we kind of like get bludgeoned with summertime, wintertime, whenever and whatnot. I'm really hoping that just because of the success of this and Get Out, they don't start to up the budget too terribly much on these movies, too, because I feel like sometimes a really big budget can ruin a movie. And I feel like, you know, something like this in the 20 million range, that isn't a huge blockbuster movie budget. And this movie still did really well. So I would love to see them just sort of keep it consistent and not go in a direction where they have too much of a budget and end up ruining movies like this. So, you know, you mentioned the reboots too. And I feel like TV is doing a lot of reboots right now. And we don't even really need to get into that because we can go down a whole rabbit hole on that. But yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. It's one of those things where you're like, okay, this is the sweet spot. So let's just stay in this sweet spot for a while and not mess it up. Well, I mean, like I'll make a, a, an example and I feel like a lot of people were divided on it and whatnot. Like Deadpool one, um, had a modest budget. Like it, um, and I like Deadpool one a lot more. I felt because it was, it was Ryan Reynolds movie. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, there was like a, a narrow scope that it had. And then when they increased the budget, I felt like it was kind of all over the place. Like there was so much, they're like, okay, we have so much money now. Like we could do all this and whatnot. Like with a quiet place and like movies like that, like I feel like when you like, not saying like narrow, what can you do? Or maybe like you only need X amount of dollars or whatnot. It, it kind of like, all right, well, we have to get creative with what we have. So you don't need like these big, big, you know, effects and these Michael Bay like, you know, explosions and what, you know, you, you, you're there to tell a story. You're there to get the audience involved and simple things like, you know, like, you know, sound and, and, you know, emotion and that comes into play without all the glitz and glamour so yeah i agree i agree with you completely like i hope that like the studios don't go all right we need bigger stuff like we need bigger monsters now we need you know more people we need this and that and blah 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 like we need more of this like just let like directors kind of do their thing and tell their story Exactly. Well, thank you so much, MJ, for coming on to talk about this. After I saw it, I was like, oh, this is definitely going to be a podcast topic at some point. And like <laughs> you said, I'll probably rewatch it when it's on digital or something, just because, you know, initially when I watched it, I walked out, I gave it a three and a half out of five, which I think is what I also gave Deadpool 2 recently. So I might have to rethink that there because I do think <laughs> I enjoyed this a bit more than I enjoyed Deadpool 2. And I know they're two completely different movies, so it's hard to compare them. But like you said, with the budget on Deadpool, the first one, I looked it up, it had a budget of about 58 million. And this one nearly doubled with 110 million. And I'm not entirely sure I saw you know, like a $50 million difference with these two movies to justify that kind of budget. So it's definitely a fine line here in the 
movie business. But again, thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. It's always it's always a pleasure. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. See you.